good to be with you here this morning. My name's Lloyd, one of the pastors here. It's great that the kids are with us today. Great that everyone else is, the big kids are here with us also. Um, we had a trunk or treat yesterday, and so I saw many of you here, especially young people. We had um, angels and baby Yoda. A shout out to um, the family of pandas who came, the Martins, and also the Scooby-Doo group as well. That was very impressive. We even had Scooby-Loo, who is one of, uh, who's Jake's dog. So that's how far people went to dress up yesterday. But it's good to be here. I'm glad to be able to speak to you and talk to you about the Bible. And so why don't I pray and ask God to speak to us in this time and to use this time for his purposes and ways. And we'll give this time to him now. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a, a good God. Uh, your love endures, it lasts forever. Your love is deeper than anything that we can know. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to know that this morning. You'd help us to taste a little of that this morning. You'd help us just to feel it in our hearts a little more this morning than we did before we came in. So for um, the big kids and the small kids here today, Lord, we ask that you'd speak by your spirit and to our hearts, that the things of me would just fall aside, but the things of you would last and uh, bear fruit um, for the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're looking at a part of Jesus' teaching, and it's what's in Luke, who is a doctor, what he wrote about Jesus' life. I know the kids in Kids Church have been looking at the stories of Luke, of Jesus' life from Luke's gospel too. Well, Jesus is a wonderful teacher. I wonder who your favorite teacher is. Jesus is um, the best teacher. But he didn't teach about writing or, or reading or listening or how to play soccer or hockey. He wasn't even teaching people how to make things, which he could have done since he was a carpenter. He was teaching people how to live. He was teaching people how to be. He was teaching people how to be part of his team, how to be part of a new kingdom, how to really live in God's world. Jesus is suggesting something in the teaching that he um, gives to us in today's passage that would change the entire world. So it's good for us to listen this morning and to see what he would say. His big teaching is this, do to others what you'd have them do to you. So do to others what you'd have them do to you. Do to those around you what you would like them to do to you. And when Jesus says this, and no one had said it quite that way before, before Jesus, and other people such as the ancient Jewish teacher Hillel said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole instruction. The rest is commentary thereof. So most people before Jesus came would say, don't do bad things to other people. Don't do hateful things towards them. But Jesus comes and says, not just don't do bad things to others, but actually do the good that you would want others to do to you. Now, this is described as the golden rule. So it's not just hold back from doing the things that are, are nasty and mean and, and difficult to others, but actually be active, be proactive, be deliberate in doing good. So my question for you is this, what would you want in the place where you live? in the street that you live, others to do to you? What would you want others to do in your workplace, in your school, in your classroom, in the playground? Is it to feel safe? Is it to feel cared for, I wonder? Is it to feel that you belong? What would make you feel that? What would make you feel that? Perhaps it's that people would say hello when you walk past. 
kind of seems normal uh, to me, but I think it's kind of rare even in Vancouver, right? Sometimes people work so hard to avoid your gaze, it's like almost embarrassing. I feel embarrassed for them. That people would be with you when you feel alone, for people to know your name, to say hello, might be something very simple. Do to others what you want them to do to you. And so in some ways it's very simple, isn't it? What you would like people to do to you, then do to others. This is what Jesus calls love. And in some ways it's really, 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 really simple. Loving others is part of doing, um, loving others is part of doing to others what you would like to do to them. So in some sense it's very simple. But in other ways it's actually really very hard. Because when Jesus talks about love, he says something very surprising. I know when we hear the word love, we can think of, of many things. Because we can love our pet dog, like Scooby-Loo. You can like your best friend at school. You can love your grandma. You can love Halloween candy. Who loves Halloween candy? It's funny, parents spend like a year telling their kids not to eat sweets, and then on that day, they kind of like pile it on them, literally like surround them with it. It's funny thing, isn't it? We can love vacations on a plane. We can love the Canucks or the Whitecaps. We can love pizza. One for the adults. When you feel like you're pulled in lots of different directions and you're trying to please everyone, you need to remember that you can't please everyone. We're not pizza, right? You need to remember this. It's easy to love those things. But Jesus here is talking about a special, special, special kind of love. It's a love that costs something. It's a love that costs you something. And it's a love that's not free. When something costs something, you have to pay for it. You have to pay for it with something. So when I go to the shop, or more recently, Miriam goes to the shop to buy Pokemon cards. We pay for it with money from our hand. We give it to the, the shopkeeper or money from our card. And it costs money. $7.99 <laughs> worth of money for some tiny little bits of card. Um, I don't know what the world is coming to. Maybe I'm getting too old. <laughs> but when your mummy or daddy, in the middle of the night, you go to them because you've had a bad dream, it costs them their sleep as they sit with you or lie with you or let you sleep in their bed. To help you get back to sleep, it costs them their sleep or space in, in their bed for the night. Or when your friend is sad, perhaps, and they need to talk, you go for a walk, or you go for a coffee, or you hang around in the playground, it costs you time. Time where you could be running around, doing something else, something more fun maybe, but you're glad to pay that cost because it's your friend, because that's what love is. It costs something. This kind of love costs something, and it's not easy or free to give this kind of love, and that's even to those who we find it easy to love. Jesus says, as he teaches those who are following him, he says to those who hear him, those who are listening, he says something very surprising. He says, love, but he says, love your enemies. Jesus, are you sure? Love, love your enemies? Wait, 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 that's, I can love friends, I can love family, I can love people who are kind to me, but to love my enemies? They're the ones who we hate or, or those who hate us. Jesus says, love your enemies. In fact, he says it twice. In case we thought it was just something that was added on or, or something that, they, that we, they misheard him saying, he said it twice. 
love your enemies. And he tells us how. And notice um, that it's not a feeling or a fuzzy, warm thing inside of us, but a decision. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. And so he's saying to all of us, he's saying to uh, those who follow after him, love not just your family or friends, but your enemies. Do good, not just those who do good to you, but those who hate you. Bless, not just those who say good things about you, but those who say bad things about you. Pray, not for those who kindly ask for it, but for those who are mean to you. Now, admittedly, this feels strange, does it not? Because we usually choose to spend time with those who we like or who like us, who are easy to be around, those who love us, who do good to us. I don't know about you, but when I hear this from Jesus, love your enemies, my mind starts worrying and I start making excuses. Jesus, don't you know, like, I, I'm like really busy. You know that I don't have much money. I can't kind of afford to kind of give in that way. You know that I only have so much energy. Jesus, you don't know how bad my enemies really are. You don't know the cost that it would be. It's been a hard season. I can only give so much. I would have to pay a lot. And my piggy bank is really low at the moment, both in terms of money and savings and in terms of time. I can't do it. And Jesus says to his disciples, to those who follow him, you're right. You can't do it. You can't do it yourself, but you don't need to do it yourself. Come, let me show you. And he shows us, he invites us into his life. He invites us, uh, his followers, into this life. And, and these followers, his disciples, were welcomed to his table. And they saw who Jesus ate with, his enemies. Enemies of their country and the people. You'll remember, kids, uh, that you heard the story about Levi. Tax collector Levi, who had teamed up with the Roman people who were bullying the Jewish people, and he ate with them. He sat with them. He welcomed them. He crossed boundaries to be with them. Jesus also touched people with diseases who wore bells. People with diseases who wore bells so that when they walked around, people could stay away from them. Jesus touched them and said, Be clean. He welcomed those with bad stories. People whose history and story made them embarrassed to talk to other people. He welcomed everyone. Can you imagine Jesus inviting you around for dinner or a play date or a coffee date and finding out the person who you like the very, very least was there too? Jesus loved his enemies. He loved the unlovely. So when I say Jesus loves those who are unlovely, who are unlovely, easy for me to say. I wonder how that makes you feel. Jesus loves the unlovely. Good, perhaps, because you feel unlovely? Or bad, because I really don't like those unlovely people. Jesus loved those who no one else loved. And some people hated Jesus for it. They wanted there to be good guys and bad guys. In one bucket, the good guys. In one bucket, the bad guys. So that they could hate the bad guys. So they could look down on those bad guys. But Jesus tells us we shouldn't split people into two sides. Good people and bad people. But to see people who are both bad and good. Who walk on both sides of the bad and the good. That that line goes down each of our hearts. And there are moments where there's bad. But there's moments that there's good. 
films and TV shows want us to think of everything as goodies versus baddies. Right? Um, whether it was Western shoot 'em ups or, or, or any sort of film, even Octonauts now, right? Like um, anything that, that we watch wants to split the world into good or bad. But actually, Jesus is encouraging us, instead of seeing only goodies or baddies, we are to see characters in stories who can choose the good side or the dark side. And that's why Star Wars is quite so popular, right? You know that Darth Vader, there he is, um, someone dressed up as Darth Vader, is able to change. We are able to change. There is hope even for the baddest of baddies. There is hope. And so Jesus says to each of us, uh, choose to love. Love even your enemies because maybe they'll become your friends. Do good to those who hate you because the good you do might change their hearts. Bless those who, who speak badly of you, who curse you because they might never have been blessed before and it might do something new in them. Pray for those who are mean to you because when you bring them before God, you realize they need God as much as you do. And as we are brought into Jesus' life, we see in his life that he did these things. He loves his enemies. He eats with them. He loves them. He does good to those who hate him. He blesses those who curse him. He prays for those who abuse him. He's not just saying, go read about it in a book and I'll test you on it in an hour. I'll test you on it next week. He actually does that himself in his life, in the life that he lived. All the more in his death, we see this clearly, how much it cost Jesus, how much this love cost him. On the cross, he loved his enemies to death. He swapped their hate with his goods, and it cost him his life. He prays on the cross, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. He loved them to the very end, and it cost him everything. And it was real, expensive, costly love. Now, it's this kind of love that moves us. Grown-ups, think of um, every film that's made you cry. Nearly all of those will be because of this kind of love. Love that costs one's life. From Lion King to Hunger Games to Harry Potter to Gran Torino to Squid Games, if you've seen that recently. One person gives their life so another can live. And we begin to kind of be moved by it more and more. It's a love that changes the world and it changes our lives if we let it. And I think it's Jesus' costly death that's the archetype, it's the beginning, it's the first one that echoes through history, through the stories we read, the movies we watch, through our lives if we let it. But Jesus wants our hearts to become love. And this is the amazing thing. Jesus isn't trying to kind of get us to put um, apples on peach trees or, or peaches on apple trees. He wants something to grow inside of us that is good and loving and that grows in a natural way. He doesn't just want us to kind of put love um, fruit on our tree, but actually to become love. He wants to change us from the inside out. And he wants that love, his love, to change our hearts. You see, we are to love without counting the cost, but we can't do it ourselves. The cost is too big. Yet there is one who paid the biggest cost, and it's his own life that he gives up. He was willing to give up his own life so that I would know this love, and that I would go from being God's enemy to God's child, children of the Most High, Jesus says, children of a heavenly Father who is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil, who changes us from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know this love 
this morning, the size of God's love, also the size of the depth of his love. Because only when we see that God's love for us is deeper than the deepest ocean, highest, higher than the highest star, will we be able to love like he loves. When we love others in order to get love, we will very quickly run out of strength, of energy, of courage to love when it's hard to love. We'll run out very, very quickly. But when we know deep in our hearts that we are loved to the moon and back, we begin to love without counting the cost. Because that way the love in our hearts overflows to others. It's real, it's true, it becomes normal. So let me illustrate, let me just end with an illustration. And let me talk about tomato ketchup. Okay. Side note, ketchup is one of the few words that sounds almost identical in Cantonese, Chinese, and English. Ketchup and ketchup. Right? They're the same. Um, I found that out fairly recently. Um, there you go, one for, one for um, a Friday night conversation, perhaps. So, tomato ketchup. Heinz, no less. We're talking about good ketchup here, right? Not just any kind of own brand uh, ketchup, but Heinz ketchup. When I go to McDonald's and have fries there, I've noticed that they give you these little tiny packets of um, tomato ketchup. Have you seen these? I think they used to just give them out for like deliver, you know, when you're taken out, but I think they give you them like now more generally, right? The little packets of tomato ketchup, they're like tomato ketchup for ants or something, right? They're so small. And so when I've got one of these and someone asks for ketchup, I'm like, I, don't, I hardly got any myself, right? So I like squeeze a little bit out for them, uh, just a tiny bit, maybe just on the side, and, and, then, and then they won't have enough, and then they'll ask for some more. Or when it's just me, I carefully open the packet. And sometimes um, I like really carefully um, put it on like each fry as it goes <laughs> along, and then I'll eat it. Other times, if I'm in a rush or I don't have like the space, I'll, I'll just eat the, the fry and then, and then <laughs> suck that as well, right? When I go to McDonald's, I'm so stingy and so careful with my tomato ketchup, because look at it. But guys, when I go to Costco, <laughs> when I go to Costco and get the fries there, well, it's a different story, friends. In Costco, they do everything in bulk, of course, right? At the food court, their ketchup in, is in these big, massive bottles that you have to use your whole arm to kind of push down. There's so much of it. So big that you, you need to use your whole arm. And I give it to everyone in my family, whether they need it or not. They're not actually eating anything. But here, have some ketchup. I squeeze it all over my fries. I put it in those little paper containers. I even want to give it to random strangers. Here, have some ketchup. There's plenty here. There's plenty to go around. It would be my pleasure to give you some ketchup. And why? Because that bottle is enormous. There's like a magic store of ketchup that goes to the ground. And in another room somewhere, there are hundreds of bottles of this massive ketchup. There's an unlimited source of ketchup, it seems, in Costco. They have trucks bringing them in. I'm generous with ketchup at Costco because it won't run out, no matter how much I want to eat of that ketchup. I think you'll get my point. He has love beyond all the amount of ketchup in Costco. So I don't need to act like I've got a couple of small packets from McDonald's. His love is beyond the amount of sea in the oceans, the air on this earth, the stars um, in this universe. 
The Bible speaks of a God with an endless store, who's a fountain of life and love, who gives and overflows, and who is that love. One of my favorite hymns finishes like this. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. I can be generous and kind with my love, even when it costs a lot, even to those who are my enemies, when I know how much love there is in a God who, who, who I can trust and who I can give myself to, who has given his all for me. There's more love and mercy in him than I can know, that I can use up and exhaust. There is more love and mercy in him than there is hate, cursing, and meanness in me. There is no pit so deep that his love doesn't go deeper still. So I can begin to love like him. I can love from plenty rather than from empty, even when it costs. And I hope that we can begin to do that.